back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready for place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league? I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Good afternoon, everyone. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. How's it going out there? I hope you're all doing well on this Monday, the 18th day of July as we sit here on the eve of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game and you know quite frankly I'm looking forward to this no not that it's going to be a decider in the grand scheme of things of this season the totality of this season but just in general I need a break from something. I need something to laugh about, take my mind off of things just because of what a busy, chaotic work week it was for yours truly at uh, Amazon. And that's what things like this are for. That's what events like this, hell, any almost every event in sports. Some some of them we look at as total nonsense, like the major league or the NFL Pro Bowl. But things like this are, or the coverage of Major League Baseball's draft last night, which I place we know that you have just as good a chance of getting a star in like the 40th round as you do in the first round. But things like this, you know, take your mind off things. Uh, you know, give you a chance to relax, take a take a breath. So between that and uh, the home run derby tonight uh, should be fun. I'm personally rooting for Albert Pujols in the home run derby, just because I think it would be a great story in his retirement year. That, quite frankly, is not getting as much attention as it deserves. Of course. You know who always gets the attention they deserve on this podcast? Some would argue um, more than they deserve at times. But what can I say? When it comes to my rooting interest, when it comes to my interest as a fan, and I'm a sports fan first and foremost, is, of course, the New York Yankees, who... Let's be honest, if I did this podcast three days ago, I would have been annoyed. I would have been aggravated. I would have been bothered based on them losing three out of four games to start off this homestand in extra innings. Two of them against the, the lowly Cincinnati Reds of all teams, who when the f- season first started, you would have thought that they were trying to break uh, the, the all-time record for wor- worst record in any given season. But you got an implosion by Holmes and Peralta, a rare one for them on Tuesday. And then Thursday, 
they had essentially run out of quality relievers in the bullpen and that they used the likes of Lucas Lickie to pitch uh, the 10th inning and that turned into a disaster. Hell, they were lucky to win the game uh, that they did win uh, on a uh, wild pitch there that scored LeMahieu. But I was just, you know, I was kind of bothered because you know, I told you all about a month ago, the Yankees were not going to win a hundred and what, 35 games. That's something of the pace that they were on at one point. Told you that they were, there was going to be a lull. They were going to calm down at some point, not to the point where they're only going to win 95 games. I mean, they're still going to boat race this, uh, uh, division and, uh, hopefully have the best record in the American League when all is said and done. But I did not think they were going to match the 2001 Seattle Mariners as far as most wins in a regular season because every good team and every great team goes through those moments, those dips in a season, and it matters how you get out of them. I mean, between losing two out of three, to the Reds, uh, splitting a four-game series against the Boston Red Sox, who over the last two weeks, the Yankees are the only team that the Red Sox are able to beat. They're 3-10 and ten in their last 13 games. And I was a little bit annoyed, you know, with not the losses, just the way they were playing and the how, you know, it seemed they were getting a little bit sloppy in the field. You know, IKF is leading uh, baseball in errors at shortstop with a 11. You had fans calling uh, for them to bring up Peraza from AAA, go with one of the young kids at shortstop. But they calmed things down over this weekend by taking two out of three against the Boston Red Sox. You know, Friday being you know, kind of a, an annoying loss there because you had plenty of chances there after tying the game up after uh, Tanner Houck throws the ball into the outfield on the bunt attempt there in the ninth inning. Uh, they've got the bases loaded uh, with nobody out or unable to bring in the winning run. Had runners in score position again in the 10th, unable to score. And then Michael King, who's been so good for this team, the uh, Thought maybe he had an outside shot at making the all-star team, even as a replacement. Throws a wild pitch that allows uh, the go-ahead run to score in the 11th inning there. But they rebound pretty nicely over these uh, last two days, bludgeoning the Boston Red Sox. I believe the... It, you know, the, the run differential was 24, which is the second highest by the Yankees against the Red Sox in the history of uh, this rivalry. And you've seen, you know, the, these uh, last couple of days, you know, Judge start to get going again. He had a little bit of dip there as far as power is concerned, and his batting average has dropped off. Though batting average is, even though he's not, you know, a putrid hitter like Joey Gallo, you've never really worried about Judge's batting average. You knew that he was going to come through, hit a lot of home runs, get on base a lot. So that was uh, not really a concern. But the, you know, the, the dip in the Yankees offense had kind of been tied as far as to Judge's lack of power as of recently. But 
Good to see him get off the snide with a couple home runs in the last few days, including uh, two uh, lasers into the Red Sox bullpen on Saturday night. And you, you look at this uh, Yankee team. You know, for for all of the annoyance, all of the you know the complaining that the casual fan has, and those are the ones that are really complaining. The the ones that are are. You know, wanting an all-star at every position. The ones who, you know, they want Joey Gallo gone right now, right this second, rather than wait, see how things play out, see who you can get at the trade deadline before, uh, you know, officially making a move, before, uh, you know, putting the the death nail on Joey Gallo's uh, Yankee tenure. No, the, those are those are the kind of uh, fans that you know just bother me. Who every night, who's whoever makes the mistake, they want them cut, they want them released. The blaming, uh, boom, and just annoy the living crap out of me. But even through all those people's complaining, they're the fifth team in the history of baseball to lead MLB in both runs scored and runs allowed per game heading into the All-Star break. And, or should I say the sixth team, excuse me. And those other five teams have all gone to the World Series. The only one not being the champion was the 1974 uh, Dodgers. But the, the 44 Cardinals and the 37, 39, and 61 Yankees all led in both categories at the All-Star break and won uh, the championship. And the Yankees, they sit here, best record in the sport, (laughs) excuse me, best record in the sport at the All-Star break. You know, with a four-and-a-half game lead over the Astros as well as a four-game lead over the Dodgers for potential home field advantage in both the ALCS and World Series, uh, respectively. And they're far from a perfect team. There's no perfect, there's never perfect teams. You know, perfection is something we strive for in life. Perfection is something we all desire, but can never reach there. We just should look to do better each and every single day. And that's what Brian Cashman's going to do. Brian Cashman has stated his mission is to make the team better than they were yesterday. You know, that's why they made a move like trading for uh, Tyler Wade after he was DFA'd by uh, the Angels. Now, he's not going to play a big role, a big factor on the team, but he provides an extra depth at an extra option for this team waiting there at AAA in case something happens to IKF or something happens to LeMayhew or Torres and they need to call on someone who's a useful option at either second, short, or third base to fill in for a couple of days. But the Yankees are going to make at least a move at the deadline. The size of that move, I cannot tell you right now. One person I can already rule out for being that move, who I thought would have been a perfect fit for this team, is Andrew Benintendi. And that's based off the fact that the Yankees play 
two more series in Toronto this season, could potentially play them in the playoffs, and Andrew Bentendi is not vaccinated against COVID-19, therefore making him ineligible to enter the country of Canada. So you got to take him off your list. But I'm sure they're going to be looking for outfield <coughs> help to potentially supplant Gallo off this team or move Judge from center back to right. Although I think one of the things that has really helped this team this year is not just Judge's ability to play center field and you know move pieces around, but the fact that Stanton can play the outfield without getting hurt, thus proving my theory that he should have never been made an exclusive DH to be 100% correct. You know, you... You look at the, this team, I mentioned Judge, but Cole's gotten on a roll over the last month, Those, thus putting uh, to end any of the thoughts that people were having that, oh, Nestor Cortez is somehow the ace of the New York Yankees. Well, Cortez has pitched better the last time out against the Reds and is deserving of his all-star nod here. Cole over the last seven starts is pitching like a Cy Young contender, including yesterday striking out 12 against the Red Sox. He has gotten on a roll. I mean, his ERA is inflated based off of two starts in Minnesota and Detroit. Other than that, he's been awesome. He's been what you're paying, you know, $36 million a year for. He has been everything you could ask for and dealt with all the slings and arrows that come with being one of the prominent players on the most famous franchise in not just baseball, but all of sports. You take his uh, hot streak here. The fact that Glaber Torres being moved back to second base has gotten him going, especially here in the month of July, hitting 360. And having a, um, in general, near all-star caliber first half. As well as what has been the godsend for this Yankee offense. With the fact that Josh Donaldson has been hot and cold. And Joey Gallo has been a total non-factor. You've needed someone to make up for that lack of production at times. And that has come from Matt Carpenter. Who, once upon a time, was a very good player in this sport but then fell apart suddenly the last couple of years. And you thought, oh, he's shot. He's done. And when the Yankees brought him in in the middle of May, you're thinking, Matt Carpenter? Now, he was a good player once upon a time, former All-Star, but he hasn't shown much the last couple of years. Whatever he did to remodel his swing has clearly worked. Because becoming, you know, the leader all-time for most home runs in his first 30 games with the franchise. He I mean, he had 22 home runs the last three years. He's already got 13 home runs in 31 games played for this team. Has already become a cult hero, cult favorite amongst uh, Yankee fans. You see kids come out to the ballpark with uh, their mustaches, fake mustaches on, whether it's for Cortez or for uh, Carpenter. There's so much to like so much to love about this team right now. Now, as I said last week, I would still look to add a starting pitcher, not just based on, you know, 
the concerns with Tyon and Cortez the last uh, month or so. But also because all of these guys, with the exception of Cole, and I guess you could throw Montgomery in there, are running into innings levels that they have either never done in their life, in the case of Cortez, or in the cases of Tyon and Severino, not done in a couple of years due to injuries. And that flared up this past week with Severino leaving his start on Thursday after two innings. You could see, you could clearly see something was wrong based on the fact that his velocity was down in the first inning. And, you know, we're talking about Luis Severino here, who went healthy, showed a couple years ago, he's a top 20 pitcher in this sport. Giving up three consecutive home runs to the Cincinnati Reds. Like, come on. I, I know Yankee Stadium has been a bit of a bandbox in its history. But to the Cincinnati Reds, and he even pulled himself out of the game after the warm-ups in the third inning. So now with him down and out, probably you'd think for close to a month because he's not going to throw for at least uh, two weeks and then going to have to go through uh, a brief rehab stint to get restretched out. I don't think you can just count on, oh, let's stick Domingo Herman in the rotation off of his uh, rehab stint and think, oh, that's just going to solve all, all problems here. Or, you know, take J.P. Sears, who I like, has been a quality arm for this team, pull him out of the bullpen and think he's your guy. No, you need to think big. You need to go grand here because – the Yankees had the chance to do that about five years ago and missed on that opportunity with Justin Verlander. Can't miss on this opportunity once again that's presented in front of you here. And you've got an option that is, you know, six, seven years younger than Verlander that you just saw. That I was saying to friends on the other on Thursday night. I would call up the Cincinnati Reds right now and tell them that's the last start Luis Castillo is ever making for you guys. Let's make a deal. And the start, you know, fans tend, what's a common trend on social media is your, your trade proposal sucks. Because fans tend to think only with their heart, not realizing that it takes two to tango. It takes two to make a deal. And this is just a starter. You know, the, I'm sure this could be updated here. But my trade proposal for Luis Castillo, a guy who's not even 30 years old, doesn't turn 30 until December, but is right in the midst of his prime, having a phenomenal season for the Reds, although you wouldn't know it because who's watching Reds baseball? He's under team control through next year. So here's what I'm offering. I'm offering the Yankees' number two overall prospect in uh, their system, Oswald Peraza. He's a shortstop, and amongst the Yankees' top 10 to 15 prospects, they have four shortstops. Volpe, Anthony Volpe, Oswald Peraza, Trey Sweeney, and one other guy that I'm drawing a blank on right now. But not all of these kids are going to be able to play 
for the Yankees. Hell, not all of them are going to be able to play shortstop. That's why you're even, you've even seen Peraza play some second base. I'm sure, you know, Sweeney and this other kid in the lower levels are you know, going to be tested out at positions other than shortstop as well because Volpe seems like he's the golden child. He's the the one that the Yankees don't want to give up and view as a long-term member of this team. Uh, I'm offering Peraza and <laughs> a pitching prospect, whether it's Clark Schmidt, Luis Medina, uh, Ken Waldachuk, Whoever, take one of the pitching prospects that is in double or triple A, pair them up with Peraza, and send them to the Reds for Castillo. In Castillo, you get him on the Yankees, you get him for two pennant races, and for the Reds, you get their long-term answer at shortstop in Peraza, who can come up either by the end of this year or at the latest beginning of next year. And in one of the pitching prospects... You get a guy that jumps into their rotation at the bare minimum at the start of spring training next year. Now, now if he had more years of control on him, this would seem like a light package. But he's only signed through next year. That's why I'm looking at it as, you know, a move that you will only make with two of your top you know, 10 to 15 prospects for what is one of the aces of this sport. And you bring him in, you add him to a rotation that has Cole. Uh, hopefully we'll have a healthy Severino by playoff time. And then take your choice of either Tyon Montgomery or Cortez to be the fourth starter in the postseason and then have at it in the playoffs with this Yankee lineup, hopefully a healthy bullpen and you know take your best shot at hopefully for the first time in over a decade bringing the World Series back to the Bronx and getting number 28 put up there by the boss. All right, a lot I want to get to over the next about 45 minutes or so here, give you some... Uh, Thoughts on some other news going on in Major League Baseball. Potential big trade could go down. A firing that happened. Some surprises so far in the sport here at the uh, All-Star break. Get mixing some basketball as well as get to something that I've been pushing off talking about for a while. But I think it's finally time to give some thoughts on. So plenty to get to for the next um, little while here. Glad you could join me and I hope you continue to join me. Sit back, relax, help put your feet up on the table and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. 
Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon here. So we had our third managerial firing of the baseball season over the last uh, week. And this one to me is the most surprising, I don't know if you want to call it tone deaf, but you know, befuddling one of uh, the group here. And that was with uh, the Toronto Blue Jays middle of last week announcing the firing of Charlie Montoya. And he was in the midst of his fourth season at the the helm. The team has not gotten off to the start that they would have really envisioned because the Blue Jays were viewed as the Yankees' biggest threat in the American League East coming into this year. And while they've been pretty good at home, they're under 500 on the road, leading to a 46 and um, 42 start under Montoya. At the time, they were um, fourth in the East, though they've gone four and one since his firing. Now, the problem with the Blue Jays is not their offense. You know, this they're... In the top 10 in runs scored, they're second in the, all of baseball in batting average. They, we know they've got enough <laughs> young hitters, <laughs> enough dangerous threats in that lineup to, to go around at almost every position. The problem is that the Blue Jays pitching staff has been awful. You know, Kevin Gosman uh, was a good investment for this team. Manoa has... Uh, pitched very well and is getting better start by, by start. Put him in self in Cy Young uh, contender uh, uh, discussions. But they've got three guys that have made at least six starts for them with ERAs over five. Hung Jin Ru, who is now out for the, the season uh, after having surgery. Uh, uh, Kikuchi, who they had gotten from uh, the Seattle Mariners, and Jose Barrios, who they traded for from the Twins last year, was good for them. They gave him a big extension, and so far, he's pitched like garbage. And you know that yeah, they've had opportunity in front of them, as I said, to be that team, be uh, the team that was the biggest threat to the Yankees with the fact that the Red Sox seemingly cannot get out of their own way. The Red Sox cannot catch a break. I mean, the only break that they're catching now is 
A, the All-Star break, and B, Chris Sale uh, taking a line drive off his hand yesterday, breaking his left pinky, and now who knows if he comes back this year. I, I actually felt bad for him a little bit. Even, even from as much of a big baby Chris Sale can act like at times, yeah, he missed so much time due to Tommy John surgery. Came back last year, then has another injury at the start of this season with the ribs. And in his second start back, you know, barely even 20 pitches into the game, takes a line drive off his pitching hand. And who knows if or when we're going to see him again this season. And you look at the Red Sox, they. They've been a mess this year. And the biggest problem with them, besides the fact that they're eh offensively outside of uh, uh, Bogart's, uh, uh, what you call it, Martinez and, and uh, Devers, is uh, the fact that they've had every member of their starting rotation on the IL at one point or another, calling on people that I don't think they even dreamed about being in their plans as far as rotation opportunities this year. And, you know, Tanner Houck's uh, ineligibility in playing in Toronto has been a problem at times. But the big problem is they have not won a series against an American League East opponent this year. They are 0-10-1 against American League in series against American League East uh, opponents. That one being the four-game series they just split against the Yankees. And it, you know, and these are the Boston Red Sox we are talking about here. As I, said, I know they're not as good offensively as uh, years past. This is not the David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Boston Red Sox. But having that kind of middle of the order, you figured would have carried them to something more than just three games over 500. And now, I mean, they're they're even desperately looking up in the uh, American League wild card standings right now as uh, we speak. They sit two games behind the Blue Jays and just like a half game ahead of the Guardians, and a game and a half ahead of the Orioles. The Orioles, who I give them a lot of credit. They've been uh, one of the biggest surprises in all of baseball. A lot of it has been uh, due to you know the, this kid, Adley Rushman, uh, getting called up, becoming their full-time catcher back in the middle of May. They're 30 and 22 since his call-up, and it's not just so much his production. You know, sometimes we've seen it with teams in the past that you bring up the prospect, you bring up the the uh, the top kid in the minor leagues, and it adds a jolt. It adds a little extra something to the franchise. We saw it way back when with the Washington Nationals when they brought finally brought up Strasburg and Harper. They took off and became a team to contend with for years to come. Ironically, it took until after the year Harper left uh, for them to finally win a championship. But sometimes, you know, these 
jolts can happen to franchises when they bring up the young kid. I, I believe that's kind of what's happening with uh, the Mariners right now who now come into the All-Star break with now the longest winning streak in MLB history uh, before the All-Star break, winning their last 14 games in a row. The, the previous record was by the 75 Reds and 35 Tigers. Both teams won the World Series. But you look at the Reds and the Mariners, excuse me. Julio Rodriguez, uh, their all-world rookie, has uh, shown the, the part so far, is leading the team in home runs. And there's still more room to grow for that kid. He's only 21 years old, and who knows how great this kid could truly end up being. They made that preseason trade to get Suarez and Winkler from the Reds. <laughs> and, and both of these guys have... Uh, improved uh, the Mariners defense and the Mariners are also posting boasting a top 10 pitching staff in baseball fifth in ERA now that a lot thanks to the offseason signing of bringing in um, American League Cy Young winner Robbie Ray but also their bullpen has been rock solid led by Paul Seawall, who's uh, taken the closer role and run with it there, as uh, well as the former Yankee prospect, Eric Swanson, uh, adjusting pretty well to a uh, bullpen role. So you, you look at the American League right now, it's hard to dis decipher, hard to look at and see, oh, who is going to truly be a seller at the deadline? It's now, it's not going to be the Guardians, two and a half games out of a wild card spot. So teams are going to try, but no one's going to get Shane Bieber at this at this de deadline. The Orioles have nothing really to sell, and they're kind of a rebuilding uh, team anyway. The White Sox, as long as La Russa's there, are not going to uh, give up. So the, it it's going to be you know almost slim pickings as far as getting starting pitching help unless Frank, Frankie Matas is healthy by the trade deadline, getting these kind of guys in the American League. And, you know, you look at the National League for a second here. I You do have a clear divide as far as your haves and have-nots. Right now, you, you look at it and you, you clearly see five teams that are better than the rest. Five there There's only, you know, Seven teams in the uh, National League, eight, excuse me, th that are above 500. They're, or have positive uh, run differential, excuse me. And right now, if you the postseason began today, you would have the Mets, Brewers, and Dodgers as your division winners, the Braves in a wild card spot, the, the Pirates in a Padres in a wild card spot, and then you'd have to figure out uh, the scenario as far as uh, Phillies Cardinals who would get that final spot just because they're not having any of those play-in games anymore. But you know the to see you know so many teams still within uh, the mix. You know the, the Giants, while well, they've underachieved and haven't been uh, as great as you thought they would be. 
know, they're still a half game out of a wild card spot. They they may not look at the division so much anymore, being 12 and a half back after the the dominance of the Dodgers this month. But they're still in shouting distance for a uh, postseason bid. Could they? I, could we see a situation where maybe they go calling to Arizona and bring the legend of Madison Bumgarner home? Wouldn't that be uh, a story? That 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 is that to me is an under talked about thing. Why? I know, I know Mad Bum hasn't been great as a Diamondback, but why you want to at least call the Diamondbacks and see what? Um, you could uh, get Bob Gardner for it. I, I don't know if he has a tr no trade clause there or something, but you know, it's for all these teams. A lot of these teams, uh, you know, outside of the Brewers, Mets, and Dodgers, could use that extra starting pitcher heading into this deadline. It's it's hard to pick where you're going to find that that guy. You're not getting him from the Marlins. They're not giving up any of their kids. I mean, Alcantara. Uh, uh, should be starting the All-Star game uh, tomorrow night. There's really no one you want from the Nationals. I don't think Strasburg's agreeing to a trade, and Corbin's been awful. Really, it, the, the big-time arms are going to be Luis Castillo and if Frankie Matas are healthy. That's what you're looking at as far as this deadline is concerned. Although there is one other name that has made headlines in the last couple of days. And we're going to save that for a little bit later on, talk about that interesting development. When I come back, though, I'm going to turn my attention to the NBA uh, real quick because you're still seeing trades or potential trades getting made there and talk all about that. So continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon. Reminder, as always, where you can find uh, this podcast across social media of course uh, the number one place is the facebook account facebook.com slash keeping it sports with m3 go there click the like button 
you know, tell your friends about it where they can find it on uh, Facebook as well. You can find the previous editions of this podcast there and send me any questions, comments, thoughts, opinions that you have uh, about anything in the world of sports, whether it's a direct message or you want to post a comment in either the podcast link or on uh, the uh, the live feed that is always shared on uh, Facebook, as well as you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, uh, there's my personal uh, Twitter account, at M3Rosansky, that's at M-T-H-R-E-E-R-O-Z-A-N-S-K-Y, at M3Rosansky. And on Twitter for the podcast, it's at Keeping It Sports. As well as on Instagram, find us keeping underscore it underscore sports underscore with underscore M3. That is the official Instagram account for keeping sports with M3. We are still in the early stages, I guess you want to call it, of the NBA offseason. And while it feels like so much has happened, there's still a lot that has not gone down so far in uh, this off season. We continue to hear about the rumors of uh, you know, Kevin Durant, uh, where he could possibly end up, or where could Kyrie Irving uh, possibly end up. The, the most likely destination for Kyrie still remains the Lakers because you have LeBron there, He's seemingly the only person that has ever been able to keep Kyrie Irving in line. And quite frankly, no one else can trust Kyrie Irving to not walk out on the team based on whatever he feels the need to be representing on that given day. But there's still other names out there that could be had, could uh, could be dealt. Now, one of those names that we thought could potentially be had was DeAndre Aiden of the Phoenix Suns. And we're wondering, oh, when he was a restrictive free agent, where's he going to sign? Where's he going to end up? Could he have potentially been used as a piece in the Kevin Durant trade sweepstakes? Could he have potentially been used as someone that you see uh, uh, used in a sign and trade to get Kevin Durant. The problem with that is DeAndre Aiden wanted the Supermax wherever he went, whether it was the five-year extension with uh, the Suns or getting uh, the four years from somebody else. And the Nets could not give that to him as long as Ben Simmons is still on the roster. Otherwise, they would have been hard-capped, meaning that they could not go over the, the salary cap, not even by paying the luxury tax. So guys like him were ineligible. Guys like Donovan Mitchell, um, Devin Booker, <laughs> Jamal Murray, not that they would be traded for Durant anyway. You know, guys along that ilk could not be traded. Bam Adebayo as well. Well, finally, the DeAndre Aiden saga, as far as his future location, 
came to an end this week, at least for now, because he got a record-setting offer sheet from the Indiana Pacers. Four years for $133 million. Highest that a restrictive free agent has ever been offered by another team. And that put the Suns in a difficult spot here because now they had 48 hours to either match the deal or just let him walk for nothing to Indiana. While they probably don't think DeAndre Aiden is worth $133 million over four years, you could not let somebody of his caliber, a a young big man who has stayed relatively healthy, has shown to be a good third option on that team, and plays at the bare minimum decent defense, you could not let him just walk away for absolutely nothing. You had to either match this offer or complete a sign and trade with uh, Indiana. There were rumors about uh, Miles Turner and possibly another piece going back to uh, Phoenix. But in the end, they probably came to a couple of conclusions here. Now, A, we can't, as I said, they can't let him walk for absolutely nothing. And B, we're probably not getting Kevin Durant because the Nets have set the bar at such a high level on what they want for Kevin Durant that we can't possibly match as far as draft picks are concerned. Young players, we can't send them Aiden because of the, the... Ben Simmons being there, we're definitely not trading them uh, Devin Booker. So the Suns were in a conundrum. They essentially had to stick with what they have. And now with signing this deal, DeAndre Aiden cannot be traded without his consent for at least a full year. So now it puts into question, where the hell is Kevin Durant getting traded? If he's going to get traded at all. Because... No one seems willing to offer to match what the Nets are looking for. You know, young all-star caliber player as well as draft picks because they can't just bottom out due to the fact that they don't have control of their draft picks over the next couple of years. They want to still be, even if they trade Durant at Irving, a respectable quality team that can contend for a postseason spot rather than just handing uh, future lottery picks to the Houston Rockets. And the, the problem all along is you know, the, the Nets are under no obligation. While they want to play nice with Durant here, they're under no obligation to send him to where he wants. So that's why his, his, his reported thoughts on going to either Miami or Phoenix have sounded ridiculous all along because he wants the ability to be traded to one of those places, but either place to keep their roster, the core of their roster intact, meaning um, Miami can't trade either Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo. Phoenix can't trade DeAndre Aiden or uh, Devin Booker. He wants to keep that team totally intact and just join on with them. 
like, Kevin, this isn't a video game. You don't just get to pull a guy off one roster and just put him on the other roster with it fully intact. Said earlier, it takes two to tango. Then and the Nets, rightfully so, and until they get the package that they want, are not going to trade him. And they're not gonna just placate to Kevin Durant's uh demands. And this has me thinking that they could potentially run things back with the the group that they have. The this group in place. Yeah, they're still probably lacking some size, lacking a true big man on uh, this team to go along with uh, uh, Nicholas Claxton. But the team that they have in place definitely could contend as it, if they're healthy and Kyrie Irving determines that he wants to play basketball. And you know, if Miami has to look elsewhere as far as a big trade this offseason, you know, that one of those options could be potentially trading for Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell, who it's clear the Utah Jazz are in rebuild mode based on what they got back in the Rudy Gobert trade. Now they're willing to listen to offers for Donovan Mitchell, even as far as the other day, asking the Knicks for Quinn and Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Miles McBride, and six first-round draft picks. So you're asking for all of the Knicks young players and six future first-round draft picks. I don't blame the Knicks for turning that down, but I don't think conversations can or should completely end there. Because the Knicks, they need to make a big splash. They need to bring in a top player. Now, to go along with the continuing ascent of R.J. Barrett, to go along with Julius Randle, maybe take some pressure off of him being the guy. Now, the problem with bringing in Donovan Mitchell is he's not the, the biggest of guys in the world. He's 6'1". And you just signed you know, a guard in Brunson who's around that size range, and neither one of them are great defensive players, and... Look at who the head coach is. Tom Thibodeau, someone who hounds his players to play defense. Someone who, you know, over the top in wanting his teams to play great defense. So you would get destroyed by anybody that has a guard of any reasonable size going up against them, even though Mitchell has the the wingspan of of a seven-footer, you know, you, you would have two primarily scoring uh, guards and no one that is really that great on defense. But you have to keep looking at this if you're the Knicks. You need to make a big splash. You know, you took a step back last year, not just in missing the postseason, but not getting better off of the year before. You made moves like, signing Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker, both that turned out to be busts. Julius Randle, better be thanking the gods that he got the contract extension that he did when he did because he was awful last year. And this team, for some reason, seemed to fall apart when Derrick Rose got hurt. So they need to make that next step kind of move. And that's what getting a star like Donovan Mitchell would do. He's not in the... LeBron James, Kevin Durant, 
everything changes level of player. But he's definitely, you know, top 15, 20 player in this sport, somewhere around that. And would make the Knicks relevant again, make them back in the conversation. Plus, add on to it, you don't want him going to an Eastern Conference rival. Like the other day, and, th- and this bothered the living crap out of me, by the way. You know, if Miami doesn't get Kevin Durant, they could turn their attention now to getting Donovan Mitchell, who is signed through the next three seasons. So you'd be getting a guy who's about to turn 26 in the prime of his career for uh, three more years now. But you're seeing on social media, whether he was joking around or serious about this, uh, video surface of a, a fan with Dwayne Wade the other day and Dwayne Wade uh, being asked, uh, oh, if he'd want Donovan Mitchell to go to Miami, he's like, yeah, he he wants him to go to Miami and join the Miami Heat. While on paper that would be an awesome trio, Mitchell, Butler, and Adebayo together, let's not forget Dwayne Wade is a part owner of the Utah Jazz. So I don't care if you're a Heat legend or not. If you're a part owner of a franchise, why should you why in the world would you be wanting or saying that your team's star player should go leave and play with another team? First off, that sets a a, a bad sign, bad precedence for your fan base. And secondly, let's say that deal ever went down and it was, you know, the level of the potential Chris Paul to the Lakers trade from way back when. The league would have to do such an investigation as far as tampering and um, renege that trade. I mean, Dwayne Wade, this doesn't surprise me because I've always thought Dwayne Wade's kind of a scumbag anyway. But why would you ever come out and say that when you're the part owner of a team? Yeah, I want my uh, team's best player to go play for someone else, especially when it's for the team that you played for and have your number retired for. Just an awful look, not just for the Jazz organization, but for Dwayne Wade and the NBA in whole. I mean, things like this, I'll continue to say it. People, get ready. Next time the CBA is up in a couple of years, you better expect to not see NBA basketball until end of January at the earliest because the owners are not going to put up with this crap anymore. All right, got to take my last break of the podcast, uh, but come back on the other side and close things up with uh, an interesting uh, trade name that has come up in the last couple of days, as well as a topic that I've been putting off for a little while. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping Sports with Evan Curry. A few more minutes left here, but a couple more things I wanted to get to. I'll get to the big trade scenario in a second. But there's been a topic that I've been putting off discussing for a while now. And before I get to this, I, you know, I've always tried to maintain with this podcast the name of the podcast, Keeping It Sports with M3. No, because I try to keep things lighthearted, give you my informed opinion and thoughts on things going on across Major League Baseball, the NBA, NFL, even sometimes the NHL, whether it's regular season, postseason, offseason. If it's something that intrigues me, I will discuss it on this podcast. Hell, over the years, I've even mixed in thoughts about, you know, MMA, tennis, golf, uh, you name it with some of that. But I've tried to stay away from political stuff, you know, uh, along that nature, unless it pertains to sports. You know, like when we've seen... The NFL athletes take a knee during the national anthem. Or the guys that speak after games about Black Lives Matter. Or speak up about uh, the mass shootings that have gone on in this country. Oh, even Kyrie Irving uh, taking a walk on the Nets uh, for two weeks after January 6th. You know, those things... While they're real world, real life stuff, now it did affect the sports world in, in a way. It affected teams in a way, and I felt the need to discuss those at the time. <laughs> but another occasion or another moment of that happening has gone down in the last about six months here. Because for the last over five months now, WNBA star Brittany Griner has been detained in Russia after 
a February 17th incident where uh, the federal customs over in Russia claimed to have found vape uh, cartridge uh, containing marijuana uh, uh, concentrate hash oil in her luggage while trying to leave Russia and come back to the States. Now, we've seen the video, the pictures and videos across social media, you know, how she's had really no contact with her wife here in the States. The only contact she's had has been with her lawyer um, trying to get her out of this. And, uh, you know, she's been, as I said, been detained now for five months. Uh, They claim uh, this is a criminal case that could potentially sentence her up to 10 years in uh, Russia prison. She was charged with large-scale transportation of drugs, and her trial began uh, last week in which she uh, pled guilty to it. And you've seen during this trial, no, two of her WNBA teammates uh, speak up on conference call to talk about, to vouch for her as far as what kind of person she is. Her using the, the guilty plea, hoping that it leads to a lesser sentence. Her even sending a letter to President Joe Biden pleading for help, pleading to get her out. And I'm, and listen, the fact that her wife is is coming out and saying that she's satisfied right now with how America's handling this situation, I'm not going to criticize to, uh, at all how our, our country's uh, h- handling this. But I'm of, I'm of two mindsets here. First off, I, she is still an American. So I, I hope she gets out. I hope that she comes back to this country. No matter what negative things she has said um, in the past, um, politically, you know, um, towards certain uh, political figures, she's still an American. She's not done anything illegal by our standards or done anything to disgrace this country where we should, <laughs> excuse me, where we should just disregard her and, and throw her away like she doesn't matter. But at, at the same time, she's played over in Russia for the last eight years. Remember, the WNBA season is much, much shorter than the NBA season. I think it begins at the end of May and they finish up somewhere like middle of September. So a lot of these athletes will go across season, play international during their off season in the the later fall and uh, early winter months. So she was over in Russia playing for a team that she's played for the last eight years. BC, uh, UMMC, uh, Ekaterinburg uh, in the Russian Premier League. They were also part of uh, the FIBA Euro uh, 
uh, women's league, but that club got suspended uh, uh, back in February after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. She's obviously been a great player here for a long time. I mean, she's lived up to the hype of being the first overall pick in the WNBA draft back in 2013 by the Phoenix Mercury. But uh, she, the fact that she's been constantly going back and forth, back and forth, she should have known better than to try to bring across uh, country lines or uh, try to travel internationally like that um, into and out of Russia with something that is ruled illegal there. Well, here, up until recently, you could not have that legally. And it's it's not even, you know, it's not like she was smoking a, a blunt, not like she uh, was truly vaping right in front of them. This was the oils to help create it. I mean, I'm not the, the biggest uh, or uh, most informed on the... Uh, on this stuff, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound like she had a, any intent of selling the drug, but like I said, they have different rules over there. And while I feel like she should in some way be punished, she should not be going away for 10 years. And it's not as simple as, oh, let's just go in there with our military force and and prior out rescuer like this is, you know, Liam Neeson in Taken or something like that. Because as you all know, we're not on good terms with Russia. You know, we're one of the countries that, uh, amongst the countries, excuse me, that adherently opposes their attempt to take over Ukraine. We do not have a president anymore that is buddy, buddy, best friends with Vladimir Putin. So if we ever tried to do that, it could potentially lead to a nuclear warfare because they have as much, you know, nuclear weapons as we do and could lead to a World War III situation here. So it's a very delicate thing. While I want her, even though she should be punished in some way because she should know better. She, she's been over there enough times to know their their laws, their rules, their regulations. I do want her to get out. I do want her brought home. No, no matter what you think of her, what you think of what she's said in the past, she's still an American. And now I got to be honest. I was surprised by LeBron James's comments about this uh, last week. Came out a clip of of his show, The Shop, where he, he said, over 110 days, now how can she feel like America has her back? I would feel like, do I even want to go back? LeBron, it's, you know, this is supposedly one of the most informed athletes in sports. And now he's taken a second misstep in the last year. You know, last year there was the situation where a police officer um, shot a um, an African-American woman and 
he posted something cryptic on Twitter saying, oh, that officer would be next to be fired or, or go to jail. When if you look at the situation, he shot the woman five times because she was wielding a knife and was a threat to ev everyone else. And this is the second time he's taken a, a misstep like this. Even, you know, his, his, friend, his enemy, uh, Ennis Cantor, I was going to call him frenemy, but there, there's no way you can call them even frenemies, uh, was taking shots at him on Twitter. And you can understand where Cantor's coming from because Cantor comes from a place that he can't ever go back to. Uh, he's spoken out so much against his uh, native land that, if he did, either his his family would get killed or he would be locked up and detained for the rest of his life. So it's a very delicate spot. I hope in some way that there's resolution very soon and it does not result in Brittany Griner spending 10 years of her life in jail. While careless and stupid, it's not on the level of, you know, murder or... Uh, vehicular homicide or something along those lines. Now, very interesting name has to close things out in a more positive, lighthearted way. A very interesting name has become available potentially on the uh, major league trade radar or could be available, though I'm just not sure how we're going to pull this off. And that is Washington Nationals star left fielder, Juan Soto, who the Nationals have made many opportunities, taken many chances to try to lock this guy up to a essentially what would be a lifetime contract over the last couple of years. Back in March before uh, the... Uh, or before the lockout in the offseason, he was offered 13 years for $350 million and turned that down. Thought that he could get more per year. And he he is worth more per year than that. That would have resulted in less than $30 million a year. Recently, he turned down a proposal from the Nationals for 15 years for $440 million that would have been the largest contract in in total in baseball history, but would have only paid him $29.3 million a year, uh, putting him at uh, only 15th um, amongst total uh, player salaries, base salaries in uh, 2022. And even... As recently as a month ago, uh, the, uh, the, their GM, Mike Rizzo, said, we're not trading Juan Soto. We made it clear to uh, his agent and to the player. Something over the last couple days has made them realize it's not going to happen. He, the fact that he's turning down this money means he's not going to be here for life. I, no, I, <laughs> I have said for the last couple of months the deal to make for Juan Soto is offering him 12 years somewhere between 450 and $500 million. He is that good, people. He is that level of talent. Especially when you see that the rest of the league 
rather than facing him, would rather just walk him. He's led the league in walks each of the last two years, including walking 145 times last year. That's Barry Bonds' treatment that this kid is getting, and he is still only 23 years old. And you got to imagine that if he's not willing to re-sign with the Washington Nationals, that he's looking for bigger market. He's looking for brighter lights. So that means, I mean, everybody should pick up the phone and make a phone call, but the, he's not going to the Pittsburgh Pirates or he's not going to the uh, Cincinnati Reds. He's going to a big spot, a big destination. He's looking at possibly L.A., New York, Boston, Toronto, uh, possibly. I mean, they're looking to spend on a big star that they can wrap uh, their arms around. Uh, the San Diego Padres have now thrown their name in the mix there because they want to pair up uh, Soto with Fernando Tatis and give Tatis immense protection in that lineup. And that would be one hell of a, uh, a safety net uh, protection. And both teams in this area, the Yankees and the Mets, should be picking up the phone, seeing how this could be done. But the problem is we are two weeks and a day away from the baseball trade deadline. Everyone gets to take a deep breath tomorrow Tonight and tomorrow with the home run derby tonight and the home run der- and the all-star game tomorrow. But tomorrow, uh, after the game, these GMs realize it's go time. It's time to make moves. It's time to either decide that we're sellers and move on for this season. Or if you're one of these teams that believes they have a ch- chance to do something special this year, make that move that can put you over the top. And while in trading for Juan Soto, you would have him in control for the rest of this year and all of 2023 and 24. That's three potential pennant races right there. The problem with making a, this is a kind of move that either needed to be made or started to be made back in April or wait until the off season to be done. Because there's a couple things here. A, his agent is Scott Boris. So he's looking at getting him the largest contract of all time, both in total value and average annual salary. And get him paid until he's like 36 years old. So I don't know how you get that deal, deal done. You're also going to have to trade a boatload of prospects. You're, you're looking, the Nationals are going to get their pick of Whoever they send them to is probably top six, six of their top 10 prospects in their organization. Because, I mean, that's just how good this kid is. Remember, he came up at at 18, was setting the world uh, on uh, fire. We sit here five years later. He's 23 years old and is widely regarded as one of the best 10 players in this sport. You're going to want to get back a package that can have you rebuild very, very quickly. I, I was talking about earlier how if I'm trading for Castile for the Reds uh, and I'm the Yankees, I start with a package of Peraza 
and a pitching prospect. Well, for for what Soto, we're talking about you're giving up the likes of Jason Dominguez. As much as they love him and think that he could be a future star for him, you're giving up Anthony Volpe. You're giving up whoever you consider your two or three best uh, pitching prospects along with you know, another prospect on top of that. You're giving them six of your top ten uh, prospects. And if you're making that deal, that trade, I'm I'm not doing that deal unless I know I have an extension in place for this kid and I have him locked away forever. Knowing that as he's as he enters his prime and then whatever the length of his prime is all the way until you know he starts to teeter at age 36 37 all of that is going to be done in my jersey in my uniform helping me win a championship whatever organization you are you're not making that deal and giving away your entire farm system unless you know this guy is locked up and i don't know if all of that can be done in two weeks hell and the nationals they're gonna have to send all of their scouts around to these minor league cities and look at you know they can't just look at the stat sheets look at you know pass some video they got to look at all of these prospects and see them play mike rizzo is gonna have to go on tour and see who he wants so that's why this is something that i just don't think it's feasible to get done in these next couple of weeks there's so many moving parts that need to be uh hammered out you know and now, I said both teams in this area should make the call. The Mets, now, even though I don't think the Nationals would ever deal them to the Mets, even if the Mets offered up Alvarez, Beattie, and whoever else they consider their top prospects, I don't think uh, <coughs> ownership of the Nationals could stomach seeing him come back to their ballpark nine times a year. But this, you know, this is extremely rare. That's someone like this becomes available at this kind of age. Now, A-Rob was 28 when he got traded. The Yankees signed Reggie Jackson when he was 31. They got Dave Winfield when he was 29. Uh, now, this this would be the equivalent of if Ken Griffey Jr. had become available in after the 1995 season. That's what kind of special level of talent we are talking about here in Juan Soto. And there's still room to grow. There's still room to get better. This is the kind of player that you only, we talked about the draft last night. This is the kind of player you sit up at night and dream about drafting. And he's not, you know, 28, 29, 30, 31. He's 23. He's still got his entire career ahead of him. And has not had any major injuries to speak of. And he was a big part of the Nationals winning the World Series three years ago. He was great in that postseason. So, you know, the the problem with the Yankees, though, is you worry, you know, you trade for him and you give him an extension. Does that 
A, does that mean the end of Aaron Judge? Or B, does that set a bad, possibly a bad tone with Judge? Because we know Judge is looking for a big-time deal. Even though Judge is uh, seven or eight years older than this kid. This kind of move, I, I don't see how it's feasible to happen in the next two weeks. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Mike Rizzo and his scouts have been looking at this possibility all along. But this is the kind of guy that if you're any kind of championship contender, you move heaven and earth to make this possible. This player, I don't even want to say once a generation, this player never becomes available. And if you can bring him in, not just have him control for the next three postseasons, but bring him in and he's yours forever, that is franchise-altering. You make up the, the revenue in his contract just based on ticket sales alone. And that is you know, unheard of. And now, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, July 18th, 2022. Everyone have a great night. Have a great week. Please stay safe. And I'll talk to you again same time next week. Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.